Um, and so today we want to talk about our response in a time of crisis. And, uh, you know, in a time of crisis, Christians can arise and with wisdom and courage to speak prophetically to the issues of our day. We are not afraid. Uh, we have an eternal perspective. We walk by faith, not by sight, not by fear, not by feelings. We know where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. So, so the four proper ways to respond to crisis. Number one, fear not. Have faith and courage, not fear. Number two, serve the less, less fortunate in compassion, right? Focus our minds and our hearts on things that truly matter upon eternal realities. Number four, cry out to God for revival in our land. You know, our response is faith and courage, not fear and panic. Isaiah 41.10 says, so Do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, there's a difference between being wise and cautious and being afraid. You know, uh, we are complying with local and national authorities in our denomination to not have uh, live services. In fact, in the sanctuary today, we have uh, our media team and, and some of the guys from the Springfield Adult Teen Challenge are here supporting us. Uh, but we don't have more than 10 people because we're complying and we want to make sure that, that, our, that our, our church family and our community is safe. You know, but let me be clear. We are not afraid. We are not living in fear because our hope is rooted firmly in the person of Jesus Christ. As disciples Jesus, we as disciples of Jesus, we have an eternal perspective. And we are not conformed to the pattern of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, this world may have fear because their eyes are on temporary things, but our eyes are on the eternal. John 14, 1, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In 14, 27 of the same chapter, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus gives us peace from his kingdom that is not dependent on our outward circumstances. If God be for you, who can be against you? For, for, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and of a sound mind. We live by faith and not by sight. The world is living by sight and fear right now, but we live by faith. You know, the heroes of the faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11, some starved to death, others were sawed in half like uh, the prophet, and uh, others were stoned to death. They wandered around destitute, living in caves and homeless. The early church was persecuted, was crucified, beaten, and mistreated, yet they did not lose faith because their outward circumstances were not going so well because they were looking for an eternal kingdom. They were looking for an eternal city and promises that were yet to come. So if they can stand in worse situations, we can stand today. 
Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we don't see. Believing without seeing, that is faith. Despite our outward circumstances, we know Jesus is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. 11.6 of Hebrews says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those that come to him must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, I'm grateful when I read through the scriptures and I see that that men and women of God who went before you and I did great exploits uh, for God, but yet they were not super uh, humans, right? Uh, They were ordinary men and women just like you and I who found their strength in an extraordinary God. They had to battle fears. They had to to, to battle discouragement just like we do, Uh, but they did extraordinary things for God. Another thing I like about Hebrews chapter 11 is it says they became mighty in battle, right? And, and, and their weaknesses were turned to strength. I like that right there because they weren't always mighty. I like that right there because they had weaknesses, but their weaknesses were turned to strength. They became mighty as they went through the process of God raising them up. They were men and women just like you and just like me. So we have come to the conclusion that we will not live by fear, but we will put our hope in God. We are ordinary people, but we have an extraordinary God. You know, the Bible says the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Christian church, this is the time when we can rise up and be bold as lions. Come on, somebody. We will not panic or run away with fear because the truth will set you free from fear, from anxiety, from depression. And you know what? what, Right now, I I just want to pray for people. You know what? Uh, uh, This wasn't in my notes, but I want to pray for you right now. You know, last uh, uh, last Sunday we had uh, Brittany came up. So last Sunday we had live service, but we didn't lay hands on people. We just did a corporate prayer. After service, one of our interns, an evangel student, came up to me and and she said, I just want to tell you what happened while I was while you were praying. You said the word depression and I just felt something break and my heart began to burn like it was on fire. And and she says, I know I was set free from depression. I have a joy right now. I'm no longer suicidal. Come on. And so I believe that God can do that even right now. So right there where you're watching, I know we're watching all over, all over the town here in Branson. You know, we're watching at the, at the men's home. We're watching at the sober living homes. There's people watching from the mission. But you know what? All over, no matter where you're at right now, you know what I mean? Across this state and around the world, I want to pray the prayer of faith over you right now that you might be healed and set free because we believe that Jesus is alive. He's still setting people free. He's still healing the sick. And so right there, if you're struggling with fear, anxiety, depression, or you know what? You have pain in your body. Maybe you just got a bad report that the doctor said you had cancer. Well, I got good news for you today that cancer cannot stand in the face of Jesus. Jesus is greater than cancer. If you're watching right now, maybe you're in a hospital bed and you got the coronavirus. Well, you know what? Corona means crown, right? But get this, Jesus is the king of kings. He he wears the ultimate crown. He's greater than the little corona virus because he's the king of kings. 
I'm going to pray right now and I believe that God is going to move through the sound waves and he's going to touch people, set people free and heal people. We just pray right now, Father, all over all over the, the world as people are watching Freedom City right now. Father, right now I pray, God, Lord, as hands go up, hands from people that are suffering from depression, from suicidal thoughts. God, Lord, from the coronavirus. God, Lord, from cancer, from tumors, from the lies of the devil. Father, we pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would send your word and that you would heal their disease. Right now, people are just feeling the power of God fall upon them from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. That's the power of God. He's setting you free. Be healed. Be healed. Be set free. Be delivered in the mighty name of Jesus. I believe there's people right now watching with the coronavirus. You know what? We speak healing. Right now we command the coronavirus to die in the mighty name of Jesus and healing to come into your body. Amen. Amen. We know that Jesus heals. You know what? Just a, a few weeks ago, one of the guys in our recovery home, his, his mom came. His name is Jesse. His mom came and she got prayed for and she had a tumor and, and uh, it ended up disappearing. She went back to the doctor five times. The doctor kept saying, come back. I, uh, uh, you know, this is impossible. I got to check this out again. And the fourth time she said, look, if I come back one more time and you know what? And it's not there. Will you admit that God has worked a miracle? And he said, I guess. So she came back and he's like, he had to admit that something miraculous happens. God is still healing. He's still transforming lives. So the wicked flee, though no one pursues. We know who holds our future. So during times of, of crisis, let our families, let our communities see our faith and be bold to tell others why we have peace during this time, because our peace is in Jesus Christ, the Prince of peace. And, you know, God called me to plant this church many years ago when I was in a solitary confinement, a prison cell. You know, I know what it's like to struggle, uh, but I know what it's like, but, but, it, but it's okay to struggle in the will of God. God picked me up out of a pit of despair, out of a pit of heroin addiction and suicidal thoughts, and he set my feet on solid ground. I'm certain that he will see me through this, that he will see my family through this. God, this is for somebody right now, God did not bring you this far to abandon you. Come on, somebody. The battle, come on. The battle is the Lord's, it's not yours. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. John 4, 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Let us stand by faith during this season. Let our light shine brightly to the world around us. Do you know that in darkness is when the light shines the strongest? Mm -hmm. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't be anxious, don't be fearful about anything, but in all things, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, give your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all knowledge and understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So come on. So our response to pandemic and unrest and national crisis, number one, as we have been talking about right now, our response to crisis is faith, not fear, because our hope is in God. You know, disruption is the norm. It's the daily theme of our lives right now. 
uh, our workplaces, our campuses, uh, our recovery homes, and even our inner person. Many college students won't walk this, uh, 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 th this year, and recovery home graduates won't walk. Uh, taxi drivers and Uber drivers are, are, are losing their jobs. We have small businesses that are collapsing or that could collapse. Fear and anxiety, times of disruption are to be expected. But how we choose to believe and how we respond to disruption makes all the difference in the world. We need to remember that we are loved and we are created on purpose for a purpose that we have to have faith and not fear in the one who holds our future. Number two, a second response in time of crisis is to serve others. We can reach out to others in compassion you know what I mean? And help out the less fortunate. You know what I mean? In times of crisis, this gives us an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. Like, like we're doing online campuses. We're going to start uh, on Friday nights. We're going to hand out food to the homeless uh, and people that are hungry in our, in our, in our community. We're going to open up a prayer line so people can call in and, and get prayer to say if they're isolated in their home and they're lonely and they need someone to pray with, we're going to end up opening up a prayer line. So this is not a, an obstacle, it's an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. Amen. Number three, focus our minds uh, on the things that truly matter. You know, a good thing about crisis and disruption is it causes us to focus on the things that truly matter. You know, we could lose our jobs, our bank accounts, our homes, and even our lives tomorrow or next year. All these things are temporary. If we lose the temporal things and we, at the end of our lives, we will think, have we spent our lives on what is truly important, on what truly matters? Time with family. Time with the Lord every day, building the kingdom of God through your local church, serving those in need through compassion, and most important of all, the Missio Day, the mission of God to seek and to save lost peoples and lost communities. You know, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For we know that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. Number four. And this is the main focus. I want to end with number four, but this is really the main focus of the message today. You know, as I was preparing, as I was preparing this message, and I, I, the book is up in my office, but uh, I had to exit my home office. That's where I'm doing my study, and I had to exit my office um, uh, uh, to go to the kitchen and was, was doing something. And then I came back, and there was one of my books. It was on my bookshelf, you know, at some time. Sometime, but I found it. It was in the in the doorway, and uh, you know, of my office. And it was a book by by uh, 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 Walter Pickney or something. That it's a book on revival. And it was a book that I read in prison many years ago when I when my heart was passionate about revival. And as I was preparing this message, God began to stir my heart to once again be passionate to see an awakening in our land. And, and you know, I, I left the room and I came back and, 
uh, there was the the book was right there, and I'm like, how did this happen? So I, I I found Hannah, and she was with the kids. I said, what happened? I said, did you go in my office? Did you drop this book right there? You know what I mean? And she's like, no. And I'm like, you know, Twilight Zone music came on, and I'm like, hey, I'm like, that's a sign. I'm like, Hannah, that's a sign, right? The book was there. It's revival. I'm stuck. I'm I'm pushing this message more towards a focus on revival, and she's like, yeah, sure. But anyway, so, uh, but anyway, she, but, but to me, it was, it was a sign that, that I was on the, the right track. And so, you know what? We need to cry out to God for revival, that America would turn to God for deliverance, for a national awakening. You know, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. <clears throat> Revivals and awakenings uh, throughout history have almost always come during times of disruption and social upheaval. This is true, but we do not think the coronavirus is a curse from God. But according to Romans 8.28, God is able to work all things out for the good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. So God is able even to work this coronavirus, you know, out for our good and for his glory. Distraction, destruction and crisis on the earth comes about because of our own sick and sin and sickness and wickedness and left to our own devices. We would self-destruct on this earth. We would destroy each other. We would destroy all the natural resources and we would self-destruct. But without the intervention of God, we are in trouble. And you know what? There is a day called the great day of the Lord. I wrote a, a seminary. I wrote a, uh, one of my thesis papers on the great day of the Lord. There is a great day of the Lord, a day of judgment. You know what I mean? That is coming in the end of times. And those who have not trusted in Christ uh, for salvation, uh, uh, receiving the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, uh, that are not saved by grace through faith, will end up in hell forever and ever. This is the truth. The signs of the end of the times will be wars, rumors of war, diseases that wipe out a third of humanity. Do you know the Bible talks about a disease that's coming that's going to wipe out a third of humanity in one stroke? The signs will also be false prophets, international warfare, uh, uh, earthquakes, famine, and disease. It also says that in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, disobedient to parents, without self-control, fierce, without love of goodness, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You know, it talks about the increase of witchcraft in the last days, and that, that, uh, uh, that word actually comes from the Greek word pharmakeia, you know what I mean, which is talking about drugs. Right. So there will be an increase in drugs and addiction in the last days. I don't know if there's ever been a time on this earth when when so many people were were addicted. Seven out of 10 Americans are on uh, uh, prescription drugs. You know what I mean? And, 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 and many, you know, two percent or three percent. I can't remember what the exact stats are. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, are, are, are on uh, actually it's more like 15 percent have used an illicit drug in the last month. You know what I mean? We are, the United States of America is the most medicated country in the world. We, we consume most of the world's opiates. We, 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 uh, the illicit 
and the, and the legal drugs, America is the world's biggest addict. We need an awakening in this land. We need a revival in our land. You know, biblical revival in uh, Timothy Keller in his book, Center Church, he talks about revival and, he, you know, it gives a definition for it. But, you know, here in, the, here in the Midwest, you know, we see that they'll put a sign on their, on their church that says revival, March 3rd to March 6th. You know, they plan a revival. They plan on having the right services, the right music, the right uh, speakers. But that is not a God-sent revival. See, a God-sent revival is when God rends the heavens and comes down at a place and time of His choosing. There are many dead churches that put a little sign up that says revival this weekend, but the Spirit of God is not there. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about revival. Revival, de revival in the frontier definition talks about a season of evangelistic uh, uh, fervor. And I believe that. I believe it's a time of, of evangelism. You know, in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, revival means church growth and even a manifestation of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit in miraculous signs and divine healing. And I would say it absolutely does include manifestations of the Spirit, but also deep repentance and a turning to God with all your hearts. Not just that you put a sign on your church. But Tim, Timothy Keller's definition is this. Revival is not just something that human beings do. It's not just about the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is the intensification of the ordinary gifts, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, such as conviction of sin, repentance and conversion, giving of assurance of salvation and sanctification. In other words, making us holy, making us more like Jesus. I agree. The greatest thing during revival is that people truly turn to God with all their hearts. You know, Jonathan Edwards says, if revival ceases to be about souls, it will cease. You know, many people are hungry for revival so that they can get in their little group and feel good. But we want to see a revival where the church is awakened. We want to see a revival where the lost are found and a New Testament church is raised up. I agree with, with Tim, Tim Keller's uh, definition there. Uh, but when revival happens, you see three things. You see sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians get converted, and hard-to-reach people have dramatic conversions. Sleepy Christians wake up. The Holy Spirit does His work, uh, and it brings repentance and assurance. Uh, Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. It's, and so when sleepy Christians wake up, they wake up to the reality that God is alive and well, that he's moving, and they have an assurance that, hey, I'm really saved. I'm really a child of God. You know, and, and, and if we all had an understanding that we were truly child of children of God, that that would change the way that we live in the world. You know, I have my, my, my baby, my baby boy, Phoenix, he's uh, five months old and five months old, right, Hannah? Six months old. Come on, somebody. The, Hannah's uh, helping with the recording today. Uh, six months old. And he, he's so adorable. He's getting fat. You know, and me and, me and Hannah love him to death. And probably more so 
considering the, um, the struggles that he's had in his life, in and out of ICU and his trouble breathing and everything that's gone on with him. And thank you for everybody, you know what I mean, that prayed. We got thousands of people that, that reached out to us when, when uh, Phoenix was in ICU saying, hey, we're praying with you, we're, we're standing with you. So thank you so much. We believe that God worked a miracle and he's doing much, much better today. But you know, I, I, I grabbed my little, my little baby boy and I'll pick him up. He's a little chunk now. He's, he's eating a lot. You know what I mean? But I pick him up and I'll kiss him on the cheek and I'll say, Daddy loves you. And I'll kiss him on the cheeks and uh, he'll smile at me and start laughing. You know what I mean? And then I put him down and I go back to my office to answer emails for a little bit. But you know what? Is there any difference between the, 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 the my love for my son when I was kissing him and when I sat him down? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? And so... Uh, a, a, a sleepy Christians wake up to the fact that God is real, that God loves them, that God has a plan for their life. Second thing is nominal Christians get converted. They realize that they were never converted and realize they didn't even know Jesus. You know, see, the church is filled with people that don't really know Jesus. But when revival happens, people that were in church all their lives awaken and realize I never knew this Jesus. Me, although I grew up in church, I was under the front pew in, in Latin America as my parents were ministers and missionaries. But it wasn't until I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ in a lonely prison cell that I was awakened and I realized that God is real. Everything that I've heard about since I was a little kid, this thing is for real. And that changed my life. Do you know Christine Chambers, uh, her father is Tom Wilcox. He's the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Branson. And, uh, you know, he's got a degree from uh, uh, Princeton and, and uh, uh, also from Regent. And uh, just a phenomenal man of God, a man of prayer, a man of uh, uh, really a kingdom-minded person. And uh, But his daughter, when I went to ask him if I could use uh, their, one of their buildings uh, to launch our Branson campus where, where they meet right now, and it's just a phenomenal move of God. That Well, they're not meeting right now. For the next eight weeks, they're not going to be meeting at all. But they're, they're meeting with us now online. Uh, but we're using their, their building. And uh, I went to ask him, and he said, you know what? He goes, my daughter goes to your church. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, you should hear her story, right? He didn't tell me. But then I talked to Chris. And I and I said, tell me your story. And she goes, well, you know what? When I was when I was young, I grew up in church. Um, but at a, a, a you know, as a teenager, she took off to the inner city. She hooked up with a drug dealer. You know, they got uh, addicted to drugs. And then later they uh, 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 they got clean. They got married um, in 2011. Her father took over the Presbyterian Church in Branson, and so then she came to Branson with her and her her, her husband and their kids. And uh, you know, she was doing great. And then she had a car accident. And when she had that car accident, they put her on opiates for painkillers. But when they stopped giving her, she thought, I can, she was a heroin addict previously, but she thought, I've been clean a long time, I'll be okay. And she began to take those prescription drugs. And uh, what happened was that uh, when the script ran out, she quickly uh, fell back into heroin. And one day in Branson, she's driving around high on heroin and 
uh, pulls over at, at uh, or she gets pulled over by the police, and she got pulled over in a at a bank uh, because she was passing out while she was driving, and uh, so she got pulled over. Just as she got pulled over, her father walks out of the bank, had no idea that she had relapsed. You know what I mean? So she ends up going to uh, a treatment center right here in Springfield, Missouri, and some of the, the girls from the treatment center actually uh, would come to church here at Freedom City Church, and so she came to church, and uh, uh, she was sitting right there on the, the front row. I, I don't remember, but she tells me that that morning, you know, we give away one of my books, and, you know, she got a, a copy of the book and it was handed to her and she began to read it and um, she says uh, 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 she says as she read the book it touched me deeply I had a powerful reality that what I grew up being taught was actually true Last year, we launched the Branson campus at the, uh, at the Rock House at First Presbyterian Church. Christine uh, serves uh, uh, on the leadership team there, and uh, she's going forward for all that God has for you. But in revival, nominal Christians wake up. And you know, Freedom City Church has been in a kind of revival the past few years, but I believe that what is coming is going to be even greater, and not just at Freedom City Church, but in the United States of America. So nominal Christians, when they wake up, they say, I never knew what it meant to be saved by faith and did not understand the gospel until now. I saw the gospel work for others, but it didn't work for me. But now I get it. And many times these are leaders in the church. These are even pastors um, that, that actually get converted during, during times of revival and awakening. And so during times of revival, there's a, uh, the Spirit brings repentance and conviction and people are truly converted. Number three, hard to reach people are dramatically brought to faith and brought into the church. And we see that at Freedom City Church all the time, like, like Zach and Dave Manning and Jamie and, and many other and others. And uh, another aspect for sure is church growth, but that's usually because the sleepy Christians are waking up, the nominal Christians are converted, and, and, and people that are hard to reach are being radically uh, saved. And so people hear about what's going on and they end up showing up and having an encounter with Jesus and the churches grow. And so the, um, there are several marks of revival. The reason why I'm going through this is because I believe that God is about to send revival to this land. And I want to give, I want to define um, the words that we use. It's very important to define the words. Otherwise, people have a preconceived idea of what it is. And so uh, there's theological marks of revival. There's usually a sense in revival that something that uh, 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 has been lost is recovered, right, and, uh, and, and is communicated in a new and fresh way. And so recovered from what? Well, see, the gospel is, is neither legalism uh, nor antinomianism, right, uh, antinomianism. It is in somewhere in between. See, these are two errors on both sides of the spectrum. So the gospel is not that you are saved by works. And the gospel is not that once you are saved, it does not matter how you live. It does matter how you live. The gospel is you're saved by faith alone, but not which remains alone. It will produce a changed life and it will produce holiness. So many times during revival, the church becomes more gospel centric. They get back to the, the raw truth of the gospel, to the power and love of God. 
away from the religious and the rigid legalism uh, without joy uh, uh, and just against everything uh, and away from more liberal theology that says how you live doesn't matter or that says that uh, or that, that, that contradicts the basic tenets of our faith like the virgin birth, the, the resurrection, the belief that there is a hell. You know, all these things are, are true. And so during revival, it gets us back focused on the gospel. I would also say that the Azusa Street uh, revival in 1906, the, the gift of the prayer language was restored to the church. Now, it hadn't been, there was always a remnant, you know what I mean, of the prayer language, but on a widespread basis, uh, it, was, it, it came back to the church in 1906. Azusa Street Mission in L.A. was the catalyst for the modern charismatic and Pentecostal movement, which is now the fastest growing segment of Christianity. An important uh, uh, emphasis was placed on evangelism with this movement that came out of that revival. And Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean, is not just so you could speak in tongues, but so that you could be a powerful and a bold witness for Jesus Christ in the earth. Amen. Come on. The second mark of revival is repentance. There's repentance when there's, there, 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 there's revival. There's a weighty presence of God that draws people to Jesus. You know, in 2000, I went to the Brownsville Revival towards the end of that revival, led by Steve Hill, a former junkie. And you know that at that revival, we would see people rush the altars. Hundreds of people would run to the altars, weeping and crying out to God for salvation. It was a phenomenal move of God. And the spirit of repentance fell uh, on that church. And pe millions of people came from around the world to go, to go attend services uh, uh, at that service. And so genuine repentant pleads with the Lord to forgive and deliver from the burden of sin and the fear of judgment and hell. It is the same attitude of the tax collector. You remember the tax collector in Luke chapter 18 that said that, that, that he wouldn't even, he was the notorious sinner. He wouldn't even look toward heaven. He just bowed his hand and beat his chest and said, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And do you remember the religious person that was sitting next to him looked over at him, looked up to God and said, thank you, I'm not like this guy. Thank you, I'm not like this worthless sinner. And Jesus commented and said, you know what? Uh, the tax collector, the sinner went away justified that day, not the religious man. Repentance is humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Re 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 repentance is not just a behavioral uh, behavior reform, but true repentance cha changes your heart. It changes the purpose. So prisons can't change the heart. The system can't change the heart. Laws can't change your heart. Only Jesus Christ can change a heart. Amen. Another mark of revival is anointed corporate worship. You know, it's not just about, I know some people that play the revival soundtrack from Brownsville, trying to, to bring back the Brownsville revival, and, but it's not about methods. You know what I mean? It's not about, I believe God is raising up a new song in this season, you know what I mean, for a new move of His Spirit that He's bringing upon the earth. But, but when, in the anointed times of worship, you know what I mean, there is a, a manifest presence of God uh, that is the mark of true revivals. And in, in a sense, 
You know what I mean? We have seen that at Freedom City Church. You know, just last year we had a, uh, during the times of worship here, just phenomenal. I mean, uh, many of our church are, uh, were saved at this church. They're former addicts, they're former drug addicts. And, and so they're just passionate about Jesus because he set them free. And there's just a radical worship in this house. You know what I mean? But the one lady, I was in the, in the hallway after service saying goodbye to people and shaking hands. And one lady came up to me and she said, my daughter was here today with me. She goes, I've been trying to get her to church. And today, she said, during the worship, she began to cry. And, and I looked over at her and she said, Mom, this is what God feels like. And I even, I'm, and so it was just, and then this young, this young girl, it was so wonderful. This young girl then walks out of the service, you know what I mean? And, and walks out the doors back in the back and her mom goes, this is her. And as I looked at her, her, aims, her face was shining, you know, like she was an angel, you know, and she still had tears in her life because she had encountered God. Let me tell you something, friend, that goes all the way past religion. That goes past the parents trying to bring them to church. But when God shows up in a place, he will touch hearts. He will transform lives. Amen. Amen. Come on. I'm using examples from our church, but I know God is moving throughout the earth at many, many uh, great churches around the earth. And uh, 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 as I said, I do believe what we're experiencing at Freedom City is, is could be considered a revival by all definitions. But I believe that God is about to pour out his spirit upon this church and this nation like never before. I believe that there's going to be a manifest presence of God that begins to show up, you know, at our services and services around the world. You know what? You know what? I, you know what? Also, here's another thing. Can you imagine that? If, is that the revivals of the past, they had the technology of what we have today. In, in, in a second, just like the coronavirus, the news of the coronavirus spread around the world. And it wasn't even one day. It was several hours. Everybody almost knew about it. And then the coronavirus began to spread. But what if God began to show up in revival? And what if revival was spread through the internet and through YouTube and through online and went around this world and, and people's head, come on, people were getting saved, people were getting healed and this thing will spread around the world overnight. I believe there's a move of God coming to the nation that will spread across this nation and around the world. Amen. You know what's interesting, Isaiah chapter 6, you guys remember this, in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord in the temple and he was high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple and Isaiah walks into church. There's the Lord seated on his throne. You know what I mean? Angels going around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And, and Isaiah, you know, uh, fell down on his face and he was shocked and he said, woe is me. But listen, Isaiah the prophet was a righteous man. Yeah, guaranteed he was at the temple every Sunday, Sunday night. Wednesday night, come on, Sunday school. You know what I mean? He was there every time the door was open, he was at the temple. You know what I mean? And so, but here's the thing of it. Why was he so surprised when he went into the temple that day and saw the Lord? Because God was the last person he expected to see at church that day. Come on, somebody. You know, many times we, we are in shock when we find out that God is in his church, you know. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, that you would come to your church. Open up wide the gates that the king of glory can come back to his church. The sense of God's presence 
and, and anointed worship is a mark of revival. Uh, fourth mark is prayer. Uh, so I believe that it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to turn back to God like never before. It's time for the United States of America uh, to turn back to God like never before. And, you know, one, it wasn't one other interesting uh, uh, thing about revivals is that many times God likes to raise up the underdogs. He likes to raise up unlikely people in overlooked places to do extraordinary things and be the catalyst for a revival. God likes to raise up the underdogs. You know, years ago when I was in solitary confinement, a uh, prison cell, God spoke to me about a mighty revival that he was sending to the earth in these last days. He spoke to me about an army that he was raising up out of the prisons of the United States of America that would go across this land and preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ with great boldness and signs and wonders. He spoke to me about a revival on college campuses. He spoke to me about a revival among the outcasts, among the drug addicts, that in part would be raised up to be a catalyst for a mighty move of God in these last days. And so, two, come on. Two underdogs that ushered in the greatest revivals we see in the past a century or so, Evan Roberts. He was uh, the catalyst for the Welsh revival. He was young. He was poor. He was uh, a coal miner, you know, in his 20s. But he began fasting and praying. And he once saw an arm stretched down from heaven over Wales. And he began to pray for revival. And he was praying that God would give him 100,000 souls in the throughout that revival. And he got that in the first year. Crime stopped. Pubs closed. Soccer championship was canceled. It's actually on the records. Soccer canceled. Soccer championship canceled for revival. Come on, that's like the Super Bowl being canceled. You know what I mean? In the United States for revival. Maybe what if we canceled sports for revival instead of the coronavirus? Come on. And so this, uh, he constantly would pray at the services. Father, send the Spirit for Christ's sake. William Seymour was the leader of the 1906 Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. At the time of se segregation and racism, God raised up a one-eyed black man who was the son of slaves. And people from all races came to the little mission on the poor side of town in Los Angeles to experience this move of God. This was one of the greatest moves of God in history. Seymour would actually tell the people, pray in the spirit and the fire will come. And fire would shoot up 50 feet above the mission. And fire would come down from heaven and mingle with it. And so people not associated, this was actually in the L.A. newspaper. People not associated with the, the revival would call the fire department and be like, hey, the Azusa Street mission is on fire. Get over there quick. And they would show up and it was not on fire. It was just the glory of God. Come on. <laughs> When this would happen, they would see the most powerful miracles. Uh, creative miracles were commonplace. One guy's arm had been ripped off in a farming accident. And, uh, I mean, it was ripped off from his shoulder down, and there was just a, 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 an empty socket there. And Brother Seymour asked if they would like to have some fun, like when the guy's leg grew back. So Seymour, Seymour, William Seymour prayed for this man, and people watched as the bone and the skin grew out of the socket. Within two minutes, even his fingers and nails had grown back. Come on, somebody. That's powerful. 
Imagine we got that on Facebook Live. Come on, then what? That would spread like wildfire. Seymour preached twice a day, seven days a week, and this was the beginning of the modern uh, charismatic movements, which today, like I said, is the fastest growing segment of Christianity. But Seymour was an uneducated black man in 1906 that was an underdog that God raised up to be the catalyst for a mighty, mighty revival. You know, Seymour prophesied in 1909, he said, in about a hundred years, another revival will come. This outpouring will be much greater than Azusa Street. It will be an outpouring of God's spirit and, and the Shekinah glory. And it won't be in one place, but it will be all over, a wor all over the world. So it has been 111 years. So why not now? Do it again, Lord. Do it now in our time, in our generation, in this city. If not now, when? If not here, where? In April 9th, 1906, 114 years ago, exactly next month, the Azusa uh, Street Revival started. You know, and, 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 and there are those that believe that the gifts of the Spirit, divine healing, speaking in a prayer language, prophecy are not for today, that they ended with the apostles. But here's the thing. If you stick 10 new believers in a solitary confinement cell and you hand them a Bible, come on, I don't suggest you do that. But you, you put them in, or actually I do. That was actually worked out for me pretty good. Uh, but they will not come to the conclusion that miracles are not for today because it's not in the Bible. The gifts of the Spirit are for today. You have to be taught out of that stuff. The purpose of revival foremost is to turn people's hearts and nations back to God. And I'm coming to a close right here. But in June 1971, Jesus was on the cover of Time with the title, The Jesus Revolution. The Jesus Movement made the front page of Time Magazine 49 years ago. God raised up dirty, smelly, hippie, drug addict hippies to start a counterculture Jesus Movement that spread all over the United States of America. Here's an excerpt from that article 49 years ago from Time Magazine. Jesus is alive and well and living in the radical spiritual fervor of a growing number of young Americans who have proclaimed an extraordinary religious revolution in his name. Their message, the Bible is true. Miracles happen. God really did so love the world that he sent his only begotten son. It is a development for a generation that has been constantly accused of tripping out or copping out with sex, drugs, and violence, now embracing the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness, and brotherly love in the history of Western culture. It goes on. Some of the fascination for Jesus among the young may simply be belated hero worship for a fellow rebel, the first great martyr to the cause of peace and brotherhood. Not so. However, for the vast majority in the Jesus movement, if any one mark clearly defines them, it is their total belief in an awesome, supernatural Jesus Christ, not just a marvelous man who lived 2,000 years ago, but a living God who is both Savior and Judge, the ruler of their destinies. Amen. 
Their lives revolve around the necessity for an intense personal relationship with Jesus and the belief that such a relationship should be the condition of every life. It is a May-December marriage of conservative religion and the re rebellious counterculture, and many converts have come to Christ from the fraudulent promises of drugs. The Jesus Revolution rejects not only the material values of conventional America, but the prevailing wisdom of American theology. The Re Jesus Revolution, in short, is one that denies the virtue of the secular city and heaps scorn on the message that God was ever dead. Friends, we need another Jesus movement. We need another revival. We need for this generation to rise up in the power of God. And let's see a move of God in this nation, in our generation. In the book of Judges, we see God raised up deliverers every 40 years as they went through that cycle. And they would cry out to God. I believe that this is our time to cry out to God like never before for another Jesus movement. That God would do it in our time. That he would do it again. That he would come down. You know, when I was in prison, my heart was for revival. My heart was for uh, uh, seeing God show up and people radically uh, saved. And, and I studied revivals when I was first saved. But you know what? As I went to college and I went to Bible school and I went to seminary, I found my mind distracted from the raw truth of the gospel and a passion for revival. But I believe God is restoring my passion for revival, my passion to see God move. I've always been passionate about souls. I'm always passionate about souls, but God is reviving my passion to see a move of God, man, in this nation in these last days. It's our time to arise. Our, our prayer, along with the prophet Isaiah, is, oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that mountains would tremble before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no eye has seen, no ear has perceived any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Amen. Friend, it's time that we go after God like never before. Amen. Four proper ways to respond to crisis. Number one, fear not. Number two, serve. Be compassionate. Serve the less fortunate. Number three, focus our minds on things that truly matter. Number four, cry out to God for revival in our land. And so that's the message for today. Thank you for joining us. I, I would just ask right now, I just want to, uh, one thing, when I planted this church, I, I promised the Lord that I would always uh, do an altar call. And even though this isn't a traditional service, I'm going to hold true to my end of the bargain with God. And I'm going to believe that God is going to meet you right where, the, where you're at right there from your home. You know, some of you are, are, are watching and watch parties and having a good time. And 
You know, others are isolated in a hospital or in your room and you're discouraged and you're fearful. But I believe that God wants to enter. You know what I mean? Before you cry out for revival in the nation, you need revival in your personal life. And the gospel's so simple. You know, there's nothing you could do to earn it. You know what I mean? You, 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 can, you don't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. You know, it's basically just surrendering to God and saying, God, Lord, forgive me. You know what I mean? Turning from your uh, 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 turning direction, the way that you're going and having a change in your mind about who God is. And, you know, for uh, uh, for me, the, the example that I like to use is, you know, I've stood before judges many times, like some of the, the, the audience that we have today, but standing before a, a, a judge and, and, and God is the judge. Uh, you know, of heaven and, and of earth. He is the great judge. And, and so I, I see the standing before the judge and, and the, 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 the gavel drops. Guilty as charged. You are deserving of death because of your sin. And that's what the judge says. But that same judge takes off his robe of majesty. And he gets down and he comes down and he put on flesh. And he got beside you and I. And he said, yes, he's guilty and she's guilty of sin, but put it on my account. I'll pay the price for them. And that's the great exchange, friend, that we give up our sin. We receive His righteousness and we receive eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that while we were still in sin, that Christ died for us, that He gave His life for us, the godly for the ungodly. While I was still shooting up dope behind that dumpster in the North Valley of Albuquerque, New Mexico. God died for me at that point. You know, and the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead that you will be saved. I pray right now that a spirit of repentance and conviction of sin go right now through this camera and to everybody watching right now. Father, I pray a spirit of repentance. God, I pray along with the Paul Apostle that my message and my preaching were not with wise and with persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Right now God is beginning to draw your heart. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draw them. And right now the Father is drawing. Right now in your homes people are beginning to break down in tears. Some people are beginning to feel a warmth go over their head and throughout their whole body. Some your hearts are beginning to burn as if they're on fire and that's God saying I'm drawing you to me so right now if that's you I just want you to raise your hand if you're watching online and Facebook you can just write in and say hey I'm raising my hand can you pray with me after this prayer with Pastor John and we have prayer workers that will follow up with everyone who responds to us online and you know what so right now I just want to say a prayer with you and so if you could just repeat with me in this house and right there where you're at, just say, Dear Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Come into my life. Make me new. I believe you are the Son of God. That you came to this earth. Born of a virgin. Lived a sinless life. And then died on the cross. For my sin. Make it personal. Say, my sin. And then you resurrected. And you're at the right hand of the Father. 
Then you poured out your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Give me a hunger for your word. Change my life. In Jesus' name. So if you said that prayer, we want you to, to respond online. And we have prayer workers that will continue to uh, uh, pray with you and talk with you. If you need healing in your body, you can also just contact us online. And, and we will have somebody that is ready and willing to, to pray with you. And so thank you so much for joining us this uh, uh, Sunday morning. And we want to encourage you to join us again Friday evening at 7 p.m. and also next Sunday at 1030 a.m. God bless you.